From Radio Studio A, it's Talking Salford. Yes, welcome back for a very special episode as we bring Series 1 of the podcast to a close by looking back at some of the best moments from our first 10 interviews. But I will not be alone today on this journey, and I am delighted to welcome Talking Salford producer Liz Theaker into the studio with me today. Hello! Hello, Liz. How are we doing? It's a bit weird to be on this side. Yeah? Yeah, I'm a bit confused, but it's fine. (laughs) We are going to do something very interesting this time. We have divvied up all of the 10 episodes of the first season and we are going to each go through each clip and introduce them for you. Uh, But to randomise proceedings, uh, we have a hat here and we are going to pick episodes out of the hat. Um, So let's get started. And Liz, would you like to go first? I'm going to shuffle the hat a little bit. Okay. And you're going to pick one out there for me. Over two. We have Matu. Matu. Okay. So producer Akela is going to play us a clip from that's episode three with the music producer Matu. Um, and then we're going to talk about it. Basically, um, it kind of got to the to the um, to like the end of my masters, and it felt like um, I think there was a point um, in my time when I was like. I was trying to do the same thing I did at the end of my undergrad, which I was like trying to get more time. Yeah. Um, and I think it most, mostly comes out of fear and just like fear of the unknown and mm-hmm. just taking the jump. Um, and so I was kind of like ready to go into a PhD and like, you know, um, I'm the type of person that like doesn't like change. So okay. I'm like very like, uh, so I tried to, to stick, stay, stay behind um, and like do my PhD and like spend more time trying to develop my craft and, um, maybe go into lecturing um, and he basically told me to like not do that and to like go and experience the world for a bit and try and actually make it because that's what I wanted to do really like I really wanted to go out and make it and like be a big producer and be and work with loads of artists and I think he felt like um, if I didn't try and do that fully wholeheartedly yeah. then it wouldn't happen or I would like regret it or I, and I just wouldn't have the time because I think in my brain I figured that it would for some reason be easy but like obviously PhDs are even more difficult than masters so and lecturing is like difficult as well so like I don't think I would have like I think he was completely right okay so um so I met a couple of Months before we did this interview, um, he came to do a masterclass with the pop music and recording students, and I heard him tell his story for the first time then. And while I then interviewed him for a piece for the university a few weeks after, um, again this came up about this idea that he was going to give up on his dream. He was um, coming to the end of his time at uni. He had done his masters and he was a bit nervous about doing his masters beforehand and he was really nervous around leaving and i think as um as a former student myself and yourself as a, as a recent former student liz we all have that crossroads moment yeah. when things come along and you get a few different routes that you could go down and he ended up going down the right route um and I just, I just that that clip sums up that episode to me because he's someone that's gone on to big success, um, but he really, really was wondering if that was the right thing for him. Yeah, I think that was a big part of his 
journey and like you said it was the highlight of like that episode especially for our audience as well and as a recent student like from my experience I was going to go and do my masters Mm -hmm. and I decided against that and I think that's the best decision because I honestly think I would have hated it if I'm being honest okay yeah but I don't really know what I'd have done my masters in and I might do it in a few years Mm -hmm. but as of right now I know I made the right decision you know yeah no absolutely and um i mean he he's so humble um he he doesn't act like he's a big star or anything like that but that story just keeps coming back to him whenever he talks about his career because obviously um when you when you leave university you have all of these concerns about going into the wide world and he was going into the music industry which is really hard Mm -hmm. to find your feet quickly um and that's just from that you just get how the impression that his lecture made on him that he still comes back and still um, he's still really good friends with, with Philip Bressenden who was, the, who was the lecturer and it's one of those things where it's, it's just very clear that um, you learn so much university mm-hmm. um, but there, there's decisions you make then which are such a big thing then when it comes to leaving yeah absolutely it's a scary point when you get to that last like leg of uni I think and you know, making those decisions and choosing that point. Yeah, it is a, it's such a scary time. I feel like I've only just come out the other end of it, mm. so it's really hard to talk about in that sense. But, yeah, it's you feel like the world, that's it, uni's cut off, that's it, what do I do now? Mm-hmm. And I think he puts it into perspective there that you might feel like you're taking the easy route or, you know, you might be given that option or you might be chosen in a difficult industry like the music industry to go maybe I'll just not but mm-hmm. he didn't and look where he is now yeah no it's a great lesson and a really really great interview that one not to kind of toot my own horn or anything but <laughs> that one that, that was that was a good nice fun one to do so um, Liz can you shuffle the hat for me please yes audio listeners yeah. ASMR this is great <laughs> alright okay alright so next up, Luke Davies. Okay, so Luke was episode nine, um, all about Stranger in My Family, the BBC documentary he did. So, producer Akela, let's have episode nine, please. I think he started to piece together what I was saying mm. and just said, oh, just said it outright. And then I was like, well, yeah, but it doesn't change anything. And, and I said, it's going to be okay. And But, you know, it's just it's just difficult. It's... In a way that I found that the hardest because Absolutely. it felt like the roles had reversed a little bit, which I did understand because it's it's a very tricky position for all of us mm. and people deal with things so differently. But when it's your parents, you're a bit like, but what? So what do we do then? And, oh, and no you... one knows what to do. So you're kind of like, well, uh, right. And then you're trying to do something. It's just a this weird pa- like power dynamics flipped on the head sort of thing. And so. Yeah, for a long time it was difficult, but they, ne- you know, they never shied away from it. So I was looking at Luke's episode, which I feel like we all really enjoyed having mm-hmm. Luke in the studio. Yeah. And I watched the documentary twice, uh, once before the interview and once after. And the question I was asking was, you know, what about Gary? What about mm, his dad that's his dad. raised him? So I kind of picked this clip because... I mean, I could have picked lots from that segment where he's talking about his dad. But we got this insight into, 
you know, how that interaction happened because you don't really mm. see much of him in the documentary. No. Um, and yeah, it's, I liked having that side and that's, what I, that's why I picked it as one of the best bits because it was us getting another side of the story and us yeah. seeing a little bit further into what's on the screen. Yeah, Stranger in My Family is a documentary on BBC iPlayer now, which is, it's Luke's story of his DNA test, um, which he found out that his, um, his someone that said that it was father wasn't his birth father, and he goes on this big voyage of discovery to track down his real birth father. Um, but one of the things that the documentary doesn't go into so much detail on, as you say, is, is his father, Gary, mm-hmm. and the impact it has on that. And, um, and it was one of the things that I had to ask him about when yeah. we sat down for that interview because in the documentary you just spend the whole time thinking there's a lot of time with his mum but his dad it's like ooh just the emotions the the history it's it's such an interesting idea to think how, how can the father and son move forward after that kind of moment where everything that Luke knew about his family was changed forever after that point um it, it, you're right. I think that's a fantastic clip that showcases that episode well. Um, he he was such a nice guy, and yeah. he had so much about him. But as 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 a recent father myself, I found I was, I got emotional talking to him about mm-hmm. that because it's it's just the most eye opening part of the story, as you say, is his relationship with his father and what happened afterwards. I don't think there were very many dry eyes behind the glass in that episode, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, he w- he was such a lovely guy, and he was so positive and inspirational as well at the same time. So to see him from this journey that he's been on, and now you know he has his production company and everything, he's such a great person. So yeah, it's I just had to pick that clip because that was the standout for me after sobbing twice at the documentary, <laughs> an emotional wreck. <laughs> Yeah, uh, do, do watch the documentary if you mm. haven't had the chance to watch it. It is uh, f- it's a phenomenal uh, piece yeah. of filmmaking. Okay, um, Liz, we're up next with another one. So shuffle, shuffle, shuffle. Okay. That's the label. <laughs> um, Timothy Cho. Oh, my God. Well, <laughs> from emotion to emotion. Okay, producer Kayla, let's have Tim show episode so, five. Uh, I couldn't uh, attend school from age 10, but when I came to this country, the pen and paper available. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the, my obsession until today. In every single of my pocket, I have a pen. You have a pen. And I have over 5,400 pens on my desk. <laughs> it's about how it's collect. <laughs> but that pen and paper and with democratic and values yeah. and perspective. It has empowered me and it has encouraged me to learn more about it. So if I understood that pen and paper I was able to learn about it, then politics or any subject, what I chose probably, it couldn't uh, uh, stop me because I already believed myself and self in it and I was able to stand against it and fight it. But that means I want also wanted to learn about the knowledge of the system, why there are 25 million and why there are many of those countries people are persecuted, why they can't talk about it, why yeah. they can't express freely like we do, or born with crime like in North Korea. That's not the United Kingdom have that kind of systems. So, so one thing, the basic perspective from that moment I understood in the UK was pen and paper. Pen and paper was a symbol for you. Mm. Oh God! Just hearing his voice. <laughs> that first of all, there were there were so many options I could have chosen with mm-hmm. this one. Um, 
but I think that clip shows why Tim is probably the most unique of all our guests today. He he was homeless, persecuted, unable to know anything about his own country and the wider world, and yet uh, he's thrown himself into position to try and make other people's lives better. He's an absolute model of inspiration, and you can feel the emotions and his passion for what he does in that clip. Yeah, I mean, like you said, they could have been plenty of clips and we all came out of Tim's episode like wow mm. because his whole journey and his story from North Korea to where he is now it's just it's not something you hear every day and it, you don't get that look into that world because it's very you know it's it's blocked off um and it is quite emotional when you hear him talk about the importance of a piece of pen and paper because it's something I mean we've got I've got a book full of pen uh, bag full of pens and a book full of paper right now mm-hmm. and he sees that as like the holy grail like yeah. the thing mm-hmm. it's it's really quite emotional no absolutely i think and he talks so much in the podcast about love more than you know even just for me from a, as a man speaking you don't hear men openly talk about love the way tim cho talks about love <laughs> he talks about it in a way which makes it so engaging so real um, and you know I, I love doing that interview with him and we've stayed in touch since and he, he's such a lovely man um, and yeah it, I do look at pen and paper very differently mm. after doing yeah. that interview yeah I agree it was, it was such a powerful statement that he made that kind of it took me back in, in the gallery mm. yeah yeah he was brill is it my go next I can't remember yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 it's, yeah, it's mine. Right, okay. All right. Shake it up for me. Okay. There you go. Right, okay. Whew, all the emotional ones out of the way. Yeah. Oh, God. Is there any more emotional ones? Um, no, I think we might be a bit Those safe. are the heavier ones. Yeah, those heavy yeah, ones. Yeah, heavier ones. Okay, uh, Zoe King, episode six. Yeah, we were like locked in an actual bubble. We were caged in, barriered into this um, space on a reservoir in Wales. So all of our food like was cooked like within the area. We lived in these bunker bins, which are like shipping containers that have been like pumped out with a bed and a, like a toilet and a bathroom in it. Um, and yeah, we lived there. We all just we never left. We used to get our shopping delivered the other side of the fence, and then it used to wear a hazmat suit and gloves and wipe it all down, and then that would be like our shopping deliveries that got delivered that way and it was it was a crazy crazy world but it was amazing because yeah we we spent 24 7 together and we really got to know each other and that that was what was really nice about it like i've made friends that are my friends for life it's a great way i guess to start your first job having to cope with that kind of environment and just just cracking on um hazmat suits yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's the level we were at at the time because this was before even like the masks were getting introduced and stuff. Yeah. So we didn't, we didn't know, and we didn't want the shoot to get shut down, and we were doing everything we could. So we, oh, yeah, I actually wore a hazmat suit in a caged-off little barrier area. So this clip is, I think, quite a perfect illustration of just the kind of environment that Zoe was walking into after graduation. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea that they had to wear hazmat suits to collect their food and shopping on this film set because this was around April, May 2020 where it wasn't really known quite how easy it was to catch coronavirus or how or how you could protect yourself from it. 
um, really insightful, really eye-opening, and like her episode is all about her persistence to build a career for herself. And then this clip shows that this was her first gig, but she went straight into it out of graduation, and she kind of has never looked back and toured the world since. Um, but it is really insightful to listen to just hearing how just hard it was right from the off. Yeah, it is. It's it's such a... It feels like a different world we lived in in Absolutely. 2020. So to be working in that industry where it is a hands-on, it's a massively, like, you are working around people all the time. And these things are important because, you know what, everyone watches telly. Everyone mm-hmm. needs... Not needs, but thrives off it you know you come into work you talk about Bake Off so having these people behind the scenes being able to entertain the public it's such a huge thing and it's not something that I think got talked about as being like key workers no it wasn't it really wasn't and there was and there was a massive boom uh, in TV across the UK that we're still going through since because so much stuff um, had to be shut down around Covid Mm -hmm. and now now that industry is pumping billions into our economy, and all those workers, as you say, they were key workers. They were, they were, well, they were at that time. I guess you could say they were risking their lives to make content for people to consume from the stage for their own homes. So it's, it was a big thing to go through. It's a very, it's, and I think it's quite an aspirational thing. I think for Zoe to look back on and think that she was part of that shit, that she was involved in, giving us all the content that we really wanted um, at the time of the pandemic, but. I mean, we're still seeing just more and more content out every day, so it hasn't really stopped since that time. No, it's not. And I think with a lot of the people that we've interviewed across the series as well, there's always been that question of COVID. Yeah, it always gets brought up. And it's more like the impact. So a few of the documentary makers and stuff we've had have said, well, it got pushed back because of COVID. It got like, you know, we couldn't do this and that. It's been a huge impact on the entire media industry mm-hmm. and it's something that we've quite closely followed really throughout this series yeah no absolutely no um yeah it's had a massive impact and uh and let's see what more stories we can um bring back to the surface so if that was me i think it's your turn okay so five episodes in now so what well, this will be the fifth one. Short supply. Short supply. Okay. All right, producer Akela, can we have episode two, please? Um, we weren't the best. Love, love the honesty. Yeah, we weren't <laughs> the best first year students. However, we 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 did uh, pull our fingers out for you know the the other two years that we were here. I think there's a powerful story in there. Of I mean, we weren't the best students, full stop. But I think you don't have to be the best student to, you know, kind of find your your rhythm and okay. your your niche and to have a career i think there's some there's something in that that i enjoy and maybe maybe this isn't the platform for that but who knows i think when you're at university though you're at the age where you're kind of coming to terms with who you are as well like mm. you're 18 at the youngest kind of finding your feet that freedom for the first time you're exploring who mm. you are as well as obviously doing Absolutely. your course and i think it's important to remember that so yeah we weren't great students but we're still here now. So that was Short Supply, which was our first duo recorded, which was quite early on in the series as well. Um, And it had its challenges having two people. Mm -hmm. So it's made up of Molly and Rebecca, and they were full of energy. They were 
uh, a formidable pair. They were <laughs> honestly. You watched. I watched back that episode and I just laughed because they're so entertaining to watch. Yeah, they are. They're great company. The reason that I went with that clip as one of my best bits is because the way they speak about it is probably a message that should be there for students now. Whether you're yep. going to first year, second year, third year, masters. It was such a powerful message of, you know, just, you know, you can do it. Yeah. It's about determination and it shows you where they are now as these like this art duo that's now like helping students in the industry. And yeah, I just thought it was it was the standout bit for me where I went, yeah, that's nice. And I remember listening it listening to it when we were there. I mean, we needed that, mm. you know. I think their honesty was was lovely to have. I mean, yeah, so they were very early on in the production process. We were back over at the New Adelphi. Um, and right from when they walked into that studio, they, they just had such good banter with them. They it was the it was it was my second interview in the pod, but I was so at ease talking to them. I just let them talk, you know. Mm-hmm. They, uh, but then they had that moment, that, those moments where they were so articulate, so passionate about their industry. They they just know it like the back of their hand, and but they also yeah were very candid around. It doesn't re- like how you are at university does not define you post graduation, yeah. um, and they have made a great. Um, well for themselves in the art sector and they, uh, I've said this a few times today already but they are an inspiration they mm-hmm. um, they really have helped shape art here um, for the betterment of all kind of young up and coming artists and, and they are such great company they're so, yeah. so easy to hang so out so much with. fun um, they're great fun it, it makes me it uh, gives me palpitation thinking about how it was to actually do a duo interview because a lot of the time I was just trying to chip in and just trying mm-hmm. to have my voice heard with them but they um they were a great laugh to have. They're a good pair to have for a duo. Mm, I think yeah. you need someone that's gonna the, a pair that are gonna bounce off each other, and really, really just take it in their stride. And I think we were quite worried before we did that episode mm. because it was two people. It was a different like working out how we do the camera setup and the mics and everything. And they were just the perfect people to really see how we could pull that off. Yeah, no, great example there, and definitely a couple to look out for in the future. I have to say, right? It's your okay, go. my go. Let's do some shuffle. You're gonna do shuffle for me. Okay, have a mix up. Yep. Okay. All right. Let's go. So, ooh, our most recent interview was Kelly Phillips, episode ten. God, I've nearly exhausted all mine. <laughs> Kayla, episode 10, please. So I called, he called me, I called him, called him straight away. He gave me a phone interview and then said, I'll give you a trial um, for a month. You need to start tomorrow. Wow. So I literally had that decision, which actually didn't even feel like a decision. So I, I packed up my little Fiat Uno, which I had at the time, uh, canceled all my plans to go away for the summer. And the next morning I drove to Devon and started um, my job as a um, assistant accountant or trainee assistant accountant um, on my first TV job. That's crazy that you, it happened so quickly after graduation, but, but that is this industry, isn't it? It's you get the call, you get an opportunity, you've, you've got to take it. Has that been your experience over the, the years? Absolutely. I think, you know, if I hadn't taken that opportunity, I may never have had another one. So I just felt 
I just had to go for it. And, um, and actually that accountant, he kept me as his assistant for over two years. So he took me from job to job to job and trained me up until I was ready. And I got a, my first job as a production accountant. So it was, he was also very nurturing with me. So it's, um, it was like right place, right time. So I'm, I'm a big believer, A, in fate, I guess, but also in, you have to grab every opportunity that gets given you in life because you never know when the next opportunity will come along. So that's Kelly there. And Kelly was probably one of the most more career-driven people I think I've ever met. She's Netflix's head of UK finance and strategy for like, and also Europe, Middle East and Africa. So she's got a massive role at a very prominent streamer. Um, and she came to Salford uh, in the 90s. Her head was like, right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to work in the film industry and I'm getting an accounting degree and I'm going to absolutely make my way in as quick as possible. And in that clip, she talks about how she was given an opportunity straight after her exams. I think the, the next day after her exams where they basically said, here's an opportunity, come down to this set, um, but you have to come like now. And she had planned to go away uh, to Spain with her friends that summer for a couple of months. And she was like, right, I'm going to cancel that and go and do this. And I wonder how many students leaving uni that like the day after they were finished doing all their studying and exams would take that opportunity. It's you. I I think would I? Yeah, it makes you think. I feel like it depends on the opportunity, and she sounds like she's such such a career-driven person, and yeah, she knows what she wants. If she didn't take that opportunity, she might not be where she is now, and in such a huge role. Well, that—that's what she says. Yeah, yeah, and especially in the media industry as a whole, if you're not grabbing opportunities, and like doing everything you can you you're not doing everything you can you know you've got to work it's outside the classroom work Mm -hmm. you have to put in the effort you have to put in the time you have to do the rubbish jobs otherwise you know cancel that holiday yeah because you don't know where you're going to be in this role 10 years down the line i think the theme that we talk about a lot in this series um in terms of the media industry in terms of film it, we, we go uh, in deep depth through all of it, through all the people we've interviewed, but the same thing keeps coming down. Like, you have to... You need grit, you need determination. You've got to take every opportunity that comes your way because it's it's so competitive. But we, and obviously all of our people have had great success so far, but they really worked hard for it. And it, I, what I love about that is it shows a message to, to all the people that are either listening or watching this that are either students or newly... Uh, alumni or fourth or maybe you you've seen this and you think oh i want to come and study at salford i want to know more about what the university is about the people that come through salford are hard-working people they they really give their utmost to get in the career that they want and it's something which i love that we've championed so far with the series we are bold thinkers here in salford that's for sure um but also this is kelly opening the part of the film industry that we don't talk about the finance side. It's of it. not a job that I'd heard of. It's no. not a job I'd think about, and I probably watch Netflix every day. Yeah, it's not a role that's ever crossed my mind. That obviously is there. Someone has to mm. be in charge of finance when they yeah. do all these big elaborate shows. Absolutely. But it's not. And she was. She wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. She knew where she wanted to be. Having it's just crazy to me because yep. the rest of the world don't even know what she does. 
No, I know it's the finance side is it's not heard of enough. Um, but if you do want to hear more, do go back and listen to that episode because Kelly's got some great advice for you there. Okay, um, I think it's my turn. Though, yeah? No, I think it's mine. Oh, okay. I think you pulled Kelly out. Yes, I did pull Kelly out. Right. Okay. Try to get extra turns. <laughs> Stress of doing this, honestly. Right. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. Come on, we got all the pressure's going to end up on yeah, me now. Yeah, it's a lot of your clips left. We're going back to episode one. We're going to one. With wow, okay. Nick Ransom. Yeah, so I came back to university at the beginning of my second year and, and spoke to the, the university GP and said, oh, look, this might be a thing. And within, so that was the August, the Pride, and then it got to, I think, February when I was diagnosed. And a lot of people wait like five or six years. So yeah. I, I don't know whether it was th- for the fact I was through the university or whatever. But yeah, I got diagnosed in, in Chester and my mum came all the way up and supported me. Um, and it was, yeah, it was a case where it was a blue skies day and yeah, I had a sort of two hour discussion with the the psychologist and she said you're autistic and I think a lot of people when they're younger have a oh my goodness I'm, I'm different this is a, a disaster to some degree mm. um, but for me it put in perspective everything that I'd achieved the fact that I was living now four hours away from home the fact that I was kind of living independently at university yeah. Um, and yeah it did give me a massive perspective and a, a confidence boost really and and yeah I'll never forget that day where yeah driving get the train back from Chester and it being the most beautiful day and it felt like a new massive new chapter it felt like my life had been split in two really so that was nick so a bit of context on nick if you've not seen that episode um by the way he was a great way to open our series Mm. wasn't he He was just he was a brilliant start for what talking sulfur is so um nick is a journalist as well as a neurodiversity consultant um and in that clip he's talking about being diagnosed as autistic which is something that happened in his second year of uni. Um, and I picked that one. It stood out to me because he's such a determined person. And, I mean, we've spoke about this a lot, about the determination of our interviewees as a whole, but his positive outlook on everything and how he, he talked about it being like a new beginning and blue skies. And, yeah, yeah he, he was just so lovely. And I think for people that are neurodivergent, um, it's nice to have so I feel like there can be negative press around it sometimes and people yeah. feel in a feel quite difficult about it and he's such a inspirational person for that platform because he sees it as he he said it's like his superpower I believe in the like mm-hmm. in the episode he, did, yeah. he described it as his superpower and I just I loved it I thought it was great I think Nick as you say he is a champion um of people that are neuro, neuro, neurodivergent, he was so happy to be involved with this. As our first guest, yeah, we were like, "How's this really gonna go? Are we gonna find our footing here?" Again, we were over at the New Adelphi. We were trying to find our way around with the equipment, and Nick walks in and he's sunshine rays and positivity. And he had to take—I think he had to take a call at the time from another job that he was potentially getting. So he's a right grifter in terms of really trying to find work constantly. And I've followed a lot of his work since. And he does do lots of reporting on on the neurodivergent community. He's really passionate about it. And it's great to see those stories keep being told. And he's, he's such a figurehead for that with the media group as well that he runs. Um, it, he was so easy to talk to. And he, he really is a great Salford grad because... Um, not only was he so good at articulating his own experience, but he shows just how 
much the university helps people that go through that experience yeah. and how if he if he hadn't if it hadn't been raised whilst he was here he might not have been able to to find out about his superpower early on really um and it, he he hasn't let it define him he's very much used it to kind of champion himself and kind of really champion others um so yeah i i love listening back to that episode with nick because yeah it, it's always a delight to to go back to the start but it's particularly special with him yeah and like we said he was just to start the series with someone like nick when we were all a bit nervous we were in a new studio we had a new setup we were all putting something brand new that we'd worked on together it was nice to finally go actually wow this is what this is going to be yeah yeah no he was he was a, he was a great great person to start with um are we down to our last two or three now i've got one left How many i've got, got two left? you got two okay three left right okay Shall I look for me there you go okay so up next amber hack episode four also on our own community to kind of understand a bit more about the powers of kind of getting into this industry i don't personally and this might be seen controversially put everything on broadcasters and editors and commissioners you know yes we need to get better at creating spaces for people to come but i think within our own community still to this day like i was having my hair dyed three weeks ago and i was talking to the hairdresser there who was south asian and she was asking me about my job mm-hmm. and uh she said to me, oh, my daughter wanted to be a journalist, but I didn't let her. Wow. And then I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm quite intrigued. Why? And yeah. when she unpacked it, it was because she was worried about the kind of dangers of, you know, her daughter doing that kind of thing and getting hate and getting... But actually, as I asked her kind of more questions, because her daughter is um, a beauty influencer now. Okay. And I kind of said, for you, what's the difference? Because um, to me, that's still exposure. It's still, you know, public facing exactly. kind of thing and putting yourself out there. And it's so interesting. I mean, she didn't quite phrase it like this, but I got the sense that it was like, in this job, you have a voice and you're questioning things and you're pushing back on things and you're maybe being difficult. They might perceive that as, even though it's not, you know, it's chasing the truth. Yeah. yeah. And that came to the heart of it. So that's Amber who she's a documentary maker, she's a DJ, and she's a journalist. Um, I liked that clip because I like her episode's theme was a lot of talking about diversity in the industry. We did go into talking about a documentary hometown, but again, it stemmed back to this topic of diversity. Um, and she spoke so passionately about it and really gave a different insight. Absolutely. And I picked that clip because it is showing how she spoke about how it's like, a cultural like opinion on the media yeah they're almost scared of it mm. because of publicity and i just thought that was such an interesting like thing to bring up i've i was i was really fascinated when i listened back i thought why did not even like she spoke about it so much within her episode but yeah that stood out to me that she'd let a daughter wouldn't let a daughter be a journalist mm-hmm. but she can be a beauty influencer yeah. my mum would be very different on that topic She'd rather me be a journalist than yeah. a beauty influencer. I think that, that there's there's definitely cultural expectations that play into that, and and I think what Amber um, says a lot through the episode is around because because we, we do talk about it is around why people in the Asian and South Asian community no, don't necessarily put themselves forward for roles in the media, 
Um, and it, I think Amber kind of alludes to this, it, it, the scrutiny, the chance that um, you are putting yourself on display a bit, not quite in a sense as a beauty influencer, but you are speaking. And mm-hmm. as a beauty influencer, you don't tend to, as, as you say, use the voice, you tend to just project image. And journalist is about voice, it's about what you have to say a lot more. Um, and how people interpret what you say. It doesn't necessarily matter also what broadcaster or organisation you're working for. If you're seen on camera or if you're writing something, you're associated with that. That's your piece mm-hmm. of work. Um, and that comes with your identity. And a lot of what we talk about in the episode is how there's been a lot of change in this area in terms of getting South Asians into more prominent roles in media and leadership. Um, but there's a lot more we can do. Um, there's a lot of good organisations that are doing a lot of good work in this area. And Amber is one of the key people that is striving to find more opportunities um, for those around her. But it, it's um, it's something which we can't stop talking about. And that's what no. I loved about hearing that clip was um, that she challenged it. Yeah, she challenged it within her, within her own culture. And yeah, it is important to look at things from both sides. And I mean, that's the role of a journalist, isn't it? You have to look at things from both sides. <laughs> so yeah, it, it stood out to me out of her episode a lot yeah 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 absolutely right down to the last two Ooh, exciting okay so it's one each i think okay yeah it is i'm on one i keep grabbing the label i've got two no i've got one. Oh, this is good right kai so okay, this is cool. yours episode seven you know, going through the education system myself, um, all over the world in, in this country especially, and yeah. also my employment, um, I look back and, and I notice how um, underrepresented I was in leadership positions. And that's something that I want to try and change as much, as much as possible. Because if people like myself don't see themselves represented in different in certain roles or different roles, they won't aspire to it. And that's not because they don't think they can, but because they don't think it's for them. I see. Um, so I did a lot of work with schools and colleges in the area just to try and be visible to people like me to say, look, mm-hmm. you too can be here. Salford, you know, the local community here, one of the things that I noticed is how, is how inaccessible they feel Media City is. It's something over there, not something for them. So we work in local schools just to bring them in and just spend the day and just see, you know, what is it like to, to be a software engineer or to see some of the other amazing job titles that exist. Mm. Software engineer is an obvious one, but it's a it's a big passion of mine. And, you know, having three kids of my own, and they tell me stories that sometimes break my heart or sometimes melt my heart, depending on what the story <laughs> is. But either way, it's just how prominent it is at their age, the issues. I did, I, when I was 12, 13, diversity and inclusion, no idea. I just mm-hmm. went through it, and now, but now I look back, I can see the consequences of the lack of it, if that makes sense. So that was Kai Ojo. He's the CEO of uh, Plan Is Where UK and Republic of Ireland, which is a software company. And when we set up every interview for this series, we I had a chat with each of them to kind of see, right, what is their story? Who is this person? Let's not focus on the job so much. Let's focus on the person was kind of the mantra that I took to it. And with Kai, we I found very early on that he is such a good person when he talks about uh, diversity and inclusion 
because he takes an approach to it that I don't, you don't really see a lot in other organisations where it's about looking beyond the facts, the numbers that you can kind of compile together in annual reports. It's about how people perceive themselves, how they perceive their leaders, how they perceive the organisation around them. And what we see, what we hear, sorry, in this clip is... Um, You've got to see people that look like you, that talk like you, that sound like you in positions of leadership across an organisation so that everyone feels that they're, that, they, um, that they're getting the opportunities that others are. Um, and Kai, he's really passionate about it. And he, he says that, he says earlier in the interview that a workplace will be better run and a better place to work um, if you have that, if you have people that are diverse and inclusive because... You've got a, in his words, a melting pot of creativity which can't be matched. And if you're constantly employing or promoting people from all the same backgrounds and walks of life, you are not going to get that um, real creative thought that is spread out throughout your organisation. Yeah, and what I I think I took from that clip is the line he said about Media City, because obviously our campus is here. Yeah, with people saying that it feels almost unachievable to come to Media City why it's like mm. now the hub in the north of media and creativity really it should have its doors open to everyone yeah so we should be encouraging that in every sense in every being of what we do and i think as a university we do do that and we do you know we're quite a cultural university we're accepting of everyone and we make a big thing of that yes so I think that's important. It, hopefully it brings those people to Media City, having us here. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that's very well said. Um, yeah, no, I don't, don't think there's anything further on that one. Right, okay, uh, let's do the last one, which um, I think this is yours, but... Yeah, you're going to yeah, pull it out just it. for the I'll, I'll pull it out just, just for the effect. Um so our last one today and for the series is Matt Cuthbert, episode eight. Yeah, to be fair, I think there, there's something, and you'll hear them say it all the time, there's something different about sort of this group of staff and players. So since Serena came in, like there was just a big change. It happened very rapidly, but like they've sort of managed it really well and you sort of have no worries really that like they're ever going to lose <laughs> it sounds daft but the players are like they're so calm and confident that actually even within the final and we were 1-0 down to Spain there was still a part of me that was like no we're going to bring this back mm-hmm. like we've done it before quarter final of the Euros we were losing to them we sent Millie Bright up top and uh, managed to snatch a, an equaliser to then take it to extra time so you, there's sort of a never d- say die attitude absolutely that, so if you can't tell, Matt is Matt works with the Lionesses. He's a performance coach. Um, I mean, you know that I was very excited for this episode. Yeah, you're a big fan girl for that. Yeah, I'm, um, I love the Lionesses. I follow football. And, yeah, I was so excited to be able to talk to someone who was in it and seen a lot of this squad now up and come in the... In the, well, in the industry, in in the team, and now they're international like heroes for a lot of young women as well. Um, this was also our first recording online. Mm-hmm. Like to point out, which was showing you know as a podcast, we can go further and yep. we're going to be bigger. I just wanted to point that out in there. But 
I chose this because it is the standout clip for the thing. Being able to speak to someone who's had these interactions with the players, Serena, see that level and why it means so much women's football and how much it's grown. Yeah, I mean, I could talk about it forever. You know I could because I love, I love it all, but yeah. So that we recorded that shortly after the Women's World Cup final, which Lioness sadly didn't bring home. Um, but it, the, the passion that was coming from that was so clear that we are at a big moment in women's football. And it was so good to have him on there because he um, can talk through, as you said, he could talk through all the players that were then in the starting 11 of that team that went out in Australia um, and he shows just the growth of that game is really moving on to the next level. Um, we talked a lot about strength and conditioning and how that has become a feeder for so many sports clubs in the area as well. Um, it, was, it was our first guest from School of Health and Society. He is really, really chatty, really lovely guy. Very easy to talk to. Yeah, we used, we used our online platform, Riverside, for the first time with that one. Um, and I just felt so at home talking to him. As you say, mm-hmm. you, we could have, we could never have stopped that interview. We could have just kept going and going because yeah. the stories he has, the the access he's had, and the passion he has for the game really came across well. Yeah, and can we just point out? So he did his undergrad here, then he did his masters, and then he's gone on to do his doctorate here at Salford. Yeah. So he's been with us all the way through, and now he's on this big platform with you know, the women's England team, mm-hmm. which is it is insane. And he was, so, he, like we said, we had to we had to bring it to an end, really, didn't we? We had to force <laughs> Didn't ourselves. really want to end it, No. Yeah. Um, and it was a slightly longer episode than you, like we thought it was going to be, but it was definitely not a difficult listen at all. No, absolutely. So that, that brings us to a close with this for this very bonus episode. Um, Liz, how have you found it? Good. Yeah, it's been nice. It's been nice to recap on everything we've achieved in the first season you know we launched it in we would start filming in april yep we were doing taster sessions slightly before that and yeah it's, it's nice to see that what we've achieved on the big scale absolutely well thank you very much for helping me walk through it today Sorry. So that ends series one of Talking Salford. And as Liz said, look, it's fair to say we've grown and come a long way from doing our first demos back in April this year. Uh, Rest assured, uh, we're going to be back in the new year with series two. And we have lots of exciting ideas and interviews that we're working on and look forward to bringing to you. Uh, You may hear from us before then, but if not, you'll just have to wait a few months before we are back on your podcast feeds. Uh, but, But before we go, I just also wanted to thank everyone that has made Talking Salford happen and has helped along the way. Uh, firstly, to all of the series producers, to Liz here, uh, to Akela Hewitt, Maria Dickinson, Rowena Grant, and Tom Walters for doing a great job behind the glass and keeping things ticking over. Um, an extended thank you to Maria as well for giving us the green light to making this podcast a reality and supporting me to keep it going through the bumps along the way. Um, Thanks to to Philip Denton for allowing us to record and film in the New Adelphi recording studios where we did our first three episodes. Uh, To Neil Salmon for allowing us to record here in Radio Studio A. And a bigger thank you to Rick Berry as the studio technician who has been superb at training the team up, being accommodating for all of our questions and getting us going each and every recording in here. An extended thank you as well to Akela as well, who also doubles up as a podcast editor as well. 
um, as being a third year student and who has brought fantastic passion to this project and always wanted to be involved in everything we do. Uh, where else would we also be without our ace film editor, Tom, who I should also add is also still a student here and has really shaped the vision for how this podcast looks on video. Uh, finally, my last thanks is to producer Liz here, who right from the beginning has helped shape the podcast that you're listening to right now and loves doing it so much that she came <laughs> back after graduating so she could keep working on it. From demos in the spring to co-hosting in the autumn, a big thank you to Liz. And with that, I'm going to, I'm going to sign us off now. So until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.